Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise today. I want to invite you this morning. You, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you. Lord, we respond to the love that you showed us by coming down to earth, being in history, Lord. You changed the world upside down. What we celebrate today is not a fairy tale. It's not a fable. But the God of heaven has come down in history, and you have given us hope and a love beyond what we can comprehend or imagine. And yet, you've made it accessible. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts, every person in here, that for this moment, God, we would be humble to receive the word uh, which you have given to us in Scripture, Father. I pray that for every person, Lord, however they've come into this place, some uh, excited about Christmas, some not so much, suffering in the midst of this season, Lord. For us, others of us, maybe apathetic towards you, maybe uh, here out of just religiosity and duty, God, but I pray that you would transform that into delight today, into relationship, into intimacy, into purpose, Lord, into forgiveness, Lord, and so many other things that you offer freely to us if we would just humble ourselves before you. God, please, Holy Spirit, have your way in our midst today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's give God some praise and let's thank the team this morning. You can go ahead and take a seat. You can go ahead and take a seat this morning. Man. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. No. So good to see you. My name is uh, Carlos. And if this is your first time here today, I want to let you know. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. And however you made it here to reality, I want to let you know that this, part of the reason why we started this church is because we wanted to provide a space for you um, where you could ask the difficult questions of Christianity, where you could ask any kind of question about who Jesus is and what his claims are all about. And Christmas puts us at the center of the claims of Jesus Christ, especially when we're talking about hope, because that's so much about what we talk about in Christmas. Amen? How many of you can testify that God is a God of hope? Three of you. Amazing. You know, <laughs> that didn't work out. A couple of you. <laughs> we pray for hope. <laughs> How many of you can testify God's a God of hope? Now, listen, I, I say that um, because what we need is not the kind of emotional, sappy hope to meet some sort of Christmas blues. That's not the kind of hope that Jesus offers, even though he can meet you in that emotional place. What we need is the kind of hope that glows in the dark. The kind of hope we've been singing about this morning, it's, it's why we have light, that God is a God of light. I'm reminded, especially this week, I read an article by a man called Philip Yancey on the story behind this um, German pastor who was, in 1944, imprisoned by Nazi Germany because he had been part of the confessing church that stood against Hitler during World War II. And this pastor survives um, being in a concentration camp, and he writes his story in an autobiography and a memoir called The Valley 
of the shadow. And this is what he says about hope, especially when he's in prison. He says this, Christmas Eve in prison, it's so terrible because a wave of sentimentality passes through the gloomy building. Everyone thinks of his own loved ones for whom he is longing. Recollections of childhood come surging back, almost overwhelming to some, especially those who are condemned to death and who cannot help but to think at their past lives. On that memorable Christmas Eve, what happens to Pastor Hans is that he's invited by one of the German soldiers to go to his office along with a violinist who was sentenced for murder and a German noble. And he is asked at that moment to preach about Christmas while he's in prison. As the pastor begins to tell his story, he remembers the sermon that he gave the year before. He had preached out of Isaiah chapter 9, this particular verse. It was the people that have walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light had dawned. But while he was preparing his sermon, Lilge, Hans Lilge, began to think, how and what kind of hope and what kind of light can I offer to these people in the midst of this impossible situation while I'm imprisoned in this Nazi concentration camp? And so he goes up and the violinist begins to play. And he once again chooses this particular text about light piercing through the darkness of our lives. And this is what he says. Our chief concern now is to receive this promise of firm faith and to believe that God through Jesus Christ has allowed the eternal light to arise and shine upon this world which is plunged in the darkness of death and that he will also make this light to shine for us at this moment in ourselves we practically have nothing that makes christmas festival familiar and lovely but there's one thing left to us god's great promise let us cling to this promise and to him in the midst of the darkness what's he saying he's saying that jesus christ offers a kind of hope that doesn't require perfect external circumstances. That for you and for me, there's something about the light of Christ that it can shine within you brightly, miraculously in the midst of impossible situations. That God is a God of hope in the midst of the dark. If, if we are going to learn anything about this text that we're going to read in just a moment about John chapter 1, an epic uh, retelling of the Christmas story through John's perspective is we're going to learn that God is a God of hope that meets us in our sorrows. God meets you in impossible situations. I love what John says in chapter 1 verse 5. Light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Christmas is not about offering empty words and empty hope to you but rather a light that is unquenchable that it cannot be extinguished this is the light of christ he offers hope to you so if you're today if you're here and you know somebody who is suffering or you yourself are in the midst of sorrows 
My prayer is that you would experience somehow, some way, in a way that only Jesus Christ knows how to provide the hope that you have in Christ. Amen? But the question is, how does he give us that hope? What kind of God would offer this to us? How does this make sense? Well, I want you to listen closely to the first chapter of the Gospel of John to hear about this God, who he is, and how he gives us hope. Look at verse 1, John chapter 1. This is what we read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, this man called John, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. You following me? Look, verse 10. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. How does God offer you and me hope? One of the ways that we learn about in this particular text is that he reveals himself as an eternal God that we can depend on. An eternal God that we can depend on. And listen, before you maybe emotionally or mentally perhaps check out at my mention of eternal, I was talking about this with my wife last night because sometimes she gives me feedback in my sermons. And she was like, wait, hold on for a second. How does that give me hope? I was like, touche. Let me explain. You see, Human beings are limited people that have unlimited longings. We want to be limitless, don't you? You don't have to be a Christian here today to feel and to get caught up in the idea of human performance. I mean, we're making movies about it. We want to be limitless. I remember growing up, even hearing tales of like human beings wanting to be immortal. Didn't you hear the story? I heard this watching Disney in Spanish in Venezuela. Check this out. I heard that Walt Disney had been cryogenically frozen. You ever read that? Yes? You heard that story? 
Okay, I'm not alone. Praise God. <laughs> Cryogenically frozen, and he was buried in the Pirates of the Caribbean out in Disneyland. <laughs> At some day, through the invention of technology, he was going to wake back up and make all our dreams come true. Yes? Human beings, we're obsessed with immortality. We want to live forever. Uh, did you know what happened earlier uh, this year? There's a scientist by the name of Ray Kurzweil who worked for Google who said that human beings were going to be immortal in eight years through the invention of AI and nanobots and all of the stuff that reminds me of the Avengers. Yes? <laughs> immortality. Our longing to live forever, it's just part of the human existence. Follow me, because here's what happens. That longing, the Bible actually affirms it. In Ecclesiastes, God says that he has set eternity on the heart of mankind. In other words, you have that longing. That's part of how he wired you, was to long for eternity, that you would long for immortality, that that actually is a need that needs to be met. So how does God meet it? By letting us know he wasn't just born yesterday. He is uncreated. He is so unfathomable. He is so grand that he has always existed. John lets us know before the birth of Jesus, even before Genesis, that God always was that Jesus was always there and it was through his hands that everything was made and this eternal God listen because of his power we can depend on him and I don't know about you but this Christmas especially when you're struggling or when you're facing a difficult situation I don't want to pray to no weak God I want to pray to a God who is strong I want to pray to a God who is powerful, who can move and act in a particular situation. This is the kind of God that we can depend on, an eternal, uncreated, all-powerful, omnipotent God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You're like, dude, it didn't say Jesus, it said the Word. Did you catch that? What does that mean? In the Greek language, that word is the word logos. Everybody say logos. There is another word, by the way, for word, but this is a very particular word called logos. And the word logos has a super wide semantic range. In other words, it can mean a whole host of things. It's kind of like the English word for heart. When we use heart in the English language, we use it for what? We use it for the physical organ called the heart, where blood is pumping through all of our veins and arteries. Now, but you can use the word heart in different ways. Like, for instance, if you have a heart for those who are hurting, you have what? You have compassion. But if people tell you, you know what? Why don't you go ahead and pursue what's in your heart? What are they talking about? Desire. Your desire, your longing, your passion right? If people say, dude, this dude's got like an evil, like a, like a dark heart. What does that mean? It means like you're an evil person, right? Something about your heart is wrong. If your heart stops beating, it's referring to what? Either something physical or maybe you just saw that special person <laughs> and my heart stopped beating, right? You can use heart in a multitude of ways and it's the same way with the word logos. The way that the ancient Greeks used this word was to describe 
a kind of universe that needed order and logic and reason. This was the logos. It, it was like the modern day version of using the word or the phrase higher power. Like you may be here and you're like, you know what, dude? I believe that there's a higher power in the universe. I don't know if I believe in Jesus, but I believe that something, some sort of intelligent force made all of this make sense. That there's some unwritten moral code in humanity where certain things are right and wrong, but I just can't quite put a name to that. This is how the Greeks believed in the Logos. And at no other point in philosophical history, you could read this in philosophy textbooks, had anybody entertained the idea that the Logos, that this reason, that this order was actually embodied in a person. So when John makes this claim, he's the first one to ever say, guess what? That higher power that you've been describing and that you've been looking for, in order for you to actually know about that, you actually got to know a person. You got to know that that higher power, that logos, actually came out of eternity into history in a miraculous way, broke through the darkness of humanity in order to give us hope. This is the eternal God that I am speaking about. This is the powerful God who has revealed himself in history. And here's why this is important for us. It's because at the end of the day, our heart for eternity and our longing that we have that needs to be met, it can only be met by a God who is actually eternal. And maybe Christmas, for you, it reminds you of two different things. Because maybe you say, you know what, I believe that God is powerful. Right? How many of you would say, man, God is powerful. Right? But... Tell me about your prayer life for a moment. Um, does that reveal that you actually believe that God is powerful? Because you can confess this Christmas that God is powerful, but live as if that is actually not true. Christmas confronts us with this reality. Do we actually believe that God is powerful in our hearts, or is it just some sort of psychological concept that makes us to feel nice? I want to encourage you, and I want you to see how the scripture will challenge you. Put your trust in the power of God and not to be self-reliant this Christmas on your own deeds and strength. But maybe part of the reason why you don't believe that God is powerful or you haven't entrusted your life to him in this manner is because maybe he didn't answer a particular prayer for you the way that you wanted it to answer And what you need to remember today is that Christmas is about remembrance and redemption. That even though God may not have answered that prayer request that way, he still sees you and he still invites you to take part of, of, of this divine power that he offers you because he sees you, because he's a hope. He's a God who offers hope in the dark. He's a God who has power for you. Amen. Amen. We need a powerful God. We need a God of hope, but also, you know what we need? We need an empowering God who provides us with purpose. I find it so interesting that John the Baptist is mentioned in one of the most transcendent scriptures about God. Did you notice that when we were reading the text, we're like, in the beginning was the word and light and darkness and all of these epic things. And then all of a sudden, and John. You're like, yo, where did this come out of, dude? What happened? He's writing this, right? No, it's not the same John. He's talking about John the Baptist. 
It's as if though God wanted to make sure that we knew that even though he created this earth, even though he is a cosmic being, that part of his plan has always been to use people for his purposes in the world. Look at what he says in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. John wasn't God, but he had an assignment. He was used for something greater than himself, and it pointed people to God. How many of you know that you have an assignment from God? Listen, Ephesians 2 says this, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. One of the things I love about God is that he's not only a powerful God out there in the universe where you can't reach him, he is a God who empowers you to take part on his purposes. Part of the goodness of Christmas is that he came down here with a mission and he has an assignment for you, that he's got a purpose for your life. You may not know that yet, You find that purpose, part of it, in the scriptures, but he wants to use you for something greater than yourself. And I hope that you are filled with hope when you remember the plan of God for your life. Even as you think about 2024, as you get together tonight, you roast a pig or you cook a little cowboy steak like I will later on and eat some ayakas, praise God. I I want you to remember this in 2024. Maybe this year you were just really close to the things of the Lord. Maybe you were hurt at some point. Maybe you were really distracted by the things that happen into this world. But let this be the day that you are reminded that God hasn't forgotten about you. He's got a mission for you. He's got a plan for your life because he's not only a powerful God, but he's an empowering God. Would you open yourself up to be used by God in 2024? He's a powerful God. He's an empowering God. But listen to me. He is a loving God who rescues us from our sin. He's a loving God who rescues us from our sin. Look at the text right here, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. What is more intimate than to become a child of God. To those who believe in his name, he says in verse 13, who were born not of natural descent. In other words, it's not your resume that gets you to be a child of God or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man. In other words, it's you don't earn your way You can't do enough good things in order to be accepted by God. It says here, you are born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father. He was full of grace and truth. Dale Bruner, who is a New Testament scholar, he says says this, that God is saying to us that all I've ever wanted you to know about me. All I've ever wanted to reveal about myself, I have made known in the person of Jesus Christ. The living God has taken on flesh and become a human being. Listen to me. Because he loves you. And so that you might know him. See, God is not only powerful, 
And he not only empowers you to give you purpose, but God is a God who's personal. He's a personal God. Haven't you realized when you're going through a difficult situation, like for instance, uh, let's say that an accident takes place in your life. In that moment when you begin to pray to God, you know what you're not doing? You're not going into this whole philosophical argument about the existence of God and kind of reasoning your way through that, right? You're not like, wait, but hold on a second. What happens with suffering? And You're just praying. You know why you're praying, right? You're praying because God is personal. In that moment, you, you, something in you realizes, you know what? I need to reach out to this God, a God who answers prayer, a God who meets us in our difficult situations. And listen, nothing is more personal for God, think about it, than leaving heaven and coming down and taking on human form, coming in the flesh. Why did he do it? He did it to be able to redeem you from your sin. He took on our flesh that he might live a life that was sinless. You see, you and me, we have a problem in our relationship with God. He created us. We were made in his image. We had an incredible plan, but sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. And what happens is that generated a whole series of brokenness in our hearts, that the darkness that you experience and the evil thoughts and the evil actions that you've committed or that people have committed in the world, the root of that is something called sin. Jesus Christ comes down to be able to redeem that sin on the cross. He lives this perfect life. He is nailed to that cross. He bleeds for that sin, for the forgiveness of those sins. And then John, guess what? This is so cool. John is telling us that he was the light and he offers hope, not before he was crucified, but he's telling us all of this after the brutality of the cross and the display of power in his resurrection. He's a God who is personal that we can know that walk this earth jesus is not a story he is part of history the world has never been the same because of the light of christ he is not only cosmic but he is close and what drove him to walk on this earth was his love for you his love for you You know what John says later in the New Testament? He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be children of God. That part of it for you, if if you've been walking with him for some time, if you, man, you've been walking with Jesus in your journey, and you've gone through victories, and you've gone through defeats, you know what's constant, and unchanging, and unfailing? His love for you, that today, whatever you've done in the past, when God sees you, and you've received him, what's happened is he says, I love you, you are my child, and I will never let you go, and that's good news, man, that's good news. But listen, but maybe you have never experienced that. Because when you hear the message about God, you're still kind of caught up in this idea of a higher power. And you haven't received the person 
of Christ. You see, this happens in John chapter 1. Didn't you see? How do you receive that love? Well, you have two choices. You can either reject it or you can receive it. Look at what John writes. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. They rejected Jesus and the message of the gospel. And here's what I want to share with you. Listen, I can give, if you're here, you're exploring Christianity. I want you to know this is a safe place to explore your faith. And we're going to give you sort of the full course menu here in John chapter one. I can give you compelling reasons why you should believe in Jesus. I can show you that he was the most important person in human history and atheist historians have to admit to that fact. You can read the book Dominion, for instance. I can tell you how Christianity is probably the best at having an explanatory power for suffering and evil. I can give you historical accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. I can show you how improbable it is that Christianity rose to power through fishermen who didn't have any military might. The church grew. It expanded. And the only explanation of that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit. I can tell you all of these different things, give you resources, but at the end of the day, the way you come to experience the love of Jesus Christ is not through an argument, but it is through you humbling yourself, repenting of your sin, and letting the spirit of God change you from the inside out. You see, if I argue you into the faith, you can be argued out of it. But you cannot argue when you have been filled with the presence of God in your life. What he wants for you and from you is to have a personal relationship so that you can experience his life-changing love and light that will give you purpose, that will connect you to the Father through eternity, and that will give you that new family that you can experience becoming his child. You see, the ultimate reason we need to receive Jesus is not because we need purpose, even though that's really cool. The ultimate reason is not just because we long for eternity. We do. It's because we need a savior. This is what D.A. Carson, a New Testament scholar, writes. And I almost quote this every Christmas Eve. He says this. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. The good news of Christmas is that you have a loving God who offers to rescue you from your sin. Uh, there was a prime minister by the name of Benjamin Disraeli in the UK, and he fell in love and he married a lady that was 12 years older than him by the name of Mary. And history tells us that they had a legendary love and marriage, and he used to joke around with her, and he used to say, Mary, you know, the reason I married you was because of your money. 
And she would say, but if you had to do it all over again, you'd marry me because of your love. Sometimes we are attracted to Jesus because of his power. Maybe you're here because you are in sorrow and you are attracted to Jesus because you need something from him. You need healing or you battle a particular uh, depression and you need a breakthrough in your life. And all of those things are things that God can act on in your life. But what you realize is that when you come to know Jesus, you have a greater need. That greater need that you thought you had is actually your need to be forgiven of your sin and to rescued from that so that you can experience his love. There is nothing greater than the love of Jesus and Christmas is about him displaying that love for you and giving you the opportunity to experience it. So part of the invitation today as we close is do you want to receive the love of Jesus or will you hear this message and reject him once again he invites you to take part in this divine love and if that's you and you would say you know what Carlos I'm ready to give my life to Jesus and to trust in him I want to give you an opportunity to do that now why don't we all pray together Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. God, thank you that every person in this room is somebody that you have given your life for. God, I pray for those that your spirit is drawing to you right now. Father, I pray they would open up their hearts and experience your life-changing love. If that's you and you're here in this place and you're like, man, I want to trust in Jesus. And I want to become a child of God. I want to trust in what he writes in this book. If that's you, why don't you tell him right now? Just right where you're seated. Everybody, we're all praying. Why don't you tell him, God, I want to become your child. If that's you, I want you to know the scripture promises this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And you believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead. The scripture says, you will be saved from your sins. You may not have all of the answers, but you are convinced that this baby that was born in a manger was the same man who came for you, who died on a cross for your sins and who rose on the third day again. And if that's you, why don't you tell him right now, God, I repent of my sins and I turn to you. Would you help me to trust in you? God, would you change my heart? And would you help me receive your love? Just as we continue to pray, maybe you're here and you've been following him for some time. And Christmas is another opportunity for you to renew your commitment to Jesus. You may have failed. Um, 2023 may have been a really difficult year or you may have experienced certain victories and today you are faced once again with the light of Jesus here's the thing about light it, ex it exposes our sin and it reveals the beauty of Christ why don't you today turn your heart if you've been far away from the Lord 
why don't you begin to turn your heart and receive that invitation from your loving Father? A powerful God who has a purpose for you, who forgives you of your sin, who calls you a child, who gives you a new family, a new identity. Why don't you live in that again? Why don't you turn from what you've been walking in and, and once again recommit your life to Jesus today? Let his light shine brightly in you and through you. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord, and the hope that we have in him. We pray now as we respond in worship and we sing, Holy Spirit, please help us to experience your love and to lead others to experience that love this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.